You're listening to the Psycho Circus, a KISS album podcast. One fan's opinionated analysis of every KISS release. I am your host, Ryo V, and I thank you for taking the time to join me today for Episode 4, Alive. Before we get into the album analysis, if you like the podcast, please subscribe to the show. If you have not already done so, leave a review on iTunes. Positive iTunes reviews go a long way towards helping other KISS fans find this podcast. If you have comments and you want to provide some feedback, or you just want to reach out to me regarding the podcast in general, you can reach me at psychocircuspodcast at gmail.com. In future episodes, I plan to read some of the emails at the start of each show. You can also reach me on Twitter. I'm at RyoV. That's at R-Y-O. V-I-E on Twitter. So let's get right to it. This is episode four, and we are covering the album Alive for this edition of the Psycho Circus podcast. Alive was released on September 10th, 1975 on Casablanca Records. Uh, The band members for the album include Paul Stanley, who was rhythm guitar and lead vocals, Ace Freely, lead guitar, Gene Simmons, bass guitar and lead vocals, and Peter Chris on the drums and vocals. Uh, the credits also include J.R. Smalling, who did the spoken word introduction that is heard at the beginning of the Alive album. And this, was pro- this album was produced by Eddie Kramer. The track listing for Alive is as follows, and this is the track listing from the uh, CD, the most recently remastered CD, so for uh, those who have it on vinyl, obviously it would be four sides, those who have the original two-disc release, um, obviously it would be disc one and disc two, Um, but this is the remastered single disc release that I'm reading the track listing from. Um, So the track listing is Deuce followed by Strutter, Got to Choose, Hotter Than Hell, Firehouse, Nothing to Lose, Come On and Love Me, Parasite, She, Watching You, 100,000 Years, Black Diamond, Rock Bottom, Cold Gin, Rock and Roll All Night, and Let Me Go Rock and Roll wraps up the Alive album. Now let's talk a little bit about the album cover. The Alive album cover is pretty its pretty cool. It's a live shot of the band uh, with Gene on the left strumming his bass and wagging his tongue. Paul's on the right strutting and uh, presumably playing a chord. And Ace is in the middle looking like he's about to shoot a rocket right out of his guitar. And then in the background you have Peter on the drums that are all filled with smoke. Uh, this is a nice shot that captures the live performance of the time very well. And um, for for fans who hadn't seen the band before live when this album came out, uh, you know, this kind of created 
the magic of what a KISS concert might look like from stage. Um, prior to this, you know, people knew what the band members looked like from the album covers for the KISS and Hotter Than Hell and Dressed to Kill. Uh, the photos, those album covers, but they didn't know what the band looked like in action. So the cover to Alive did uh, did a very nice job um, portraying what the band looked like in a live setting. Um, Alive was released in September of 1975, and let's face it, this is the record that put Kiss on the map. Uh, yes, I realize that it comes with a lot of controversy. But like it or not, Alive is the album that saved this band and kept their record company afloat for a few more years. Uh, the album was recorded over four nights in 1975, most no- most notably in Detroit at the Cabo Hall. Um, but it also includes recordings from Cleveland, Ohio, Davenport, Iowa, and Wildwood, New Jersey, which I did not realize until I did my research uh, for this episode of the podcast. So shout out to my home state. New Jersey, uh, they got part of Alive captured on uh, on record. Uh, there's been a lot of talks and uh, contradictions regarding the overdubbing that was done prior to the record's release. I've heard some fans state that Alive's not truly a live recording because of the overdubs and the cleanup work that was done in the uh, engineering booth. And to me, that's a bunch of hooey. Um, I say that even if there was cleanup work done, and not if, it's, they've come clean after all these years. Um, so yes, there was cleanup work done. But even with that, even if there was a lot of cleanup work done, Alive is still the greatest live album ever released. Uh, this record showed bands how to make a live recording. Prior to Alive, live records didn't sell that well. Some did, but not many. And after KISS released Alive, every major band wanted to have a live record. And KISS released a double live album at a time when not only did live albums not sell well, but KISS records didn't sell. And the album surprised everyone by going gold and laying the groundwork that was going to make KISS a household name. Without Alive, there probably would be no KISS today. Um, the band just wouldn't have survived much longer, and they definitely wouldn't have recorded the version of Destroyer that we all know and love. Um, let's face it, KISS was a dying band in 1975. Their record company was on the verge of bankruptcy. Uh, their first three records didn't sell well. Um, diehard fans, devote, you know, they had a small devoted following, but as far as mainstream goes, not a lot of people knew who they were. They didn't know who Kiss was. They didn't know a Kiss song in 1975. Um, and if, if Alive didn't do well, this was the end. This was also the last record they had under contract with Casablanca. Um, so this was a big gamble. And, uh, you know, if things didn't work out, Kiss would have became one of those bands that uh, a few people said, yeah, I really liked them back in the day. I I wonder why they never made it. I wonder what happened to them. Fortunately, the rock gods intervened, and Alive became a smashing success. That um, was a lot of fans' introduction to the band. For, For a lot of Kiss fans, this was the first Kiss album they owned. This was the first Kiss album that they really listened to. 
Um, this was the first Kiss album that they paid attention to, and this Kiss album made them all go back and buy the studio versions. That's why all the studio versions ended up going gold and platinum years after their release, because fans uh, got a hold of Alive, they listened to Alive, and, and they said, I want to hear uh, their first three records now. Um, so that's you know that that was uh, what was so great about Alive. It pushed fans to go back who hadn't heard or owned the first three records, and it pushed them to go backwards and, and grab hold of those three albums as well. All right, so let's dive in now and and take a look at the songs that are included on Alive, the songs that made this record so famous. Um, now, I've given my take on these songs uh, previously on the uh, uh, first three episodes of the podcast, um, but that was on the studio version. So for for this episode, I'm going to try and give my take on the live versions, and, and where I can, I'll do a little comparing and contrasting and explain, um, you know, which... Which version I like better and why, um, and you'll come to see that <laughs> most of the time it is the live version uh, that gets the upper hand um, for obvious reasons. Um, so, without further ado, the first track on the record is Deuce, and that was written by Gene Simmons, and it's sung by Gene Simmons. Um, and there's few, to me, there's few songs that are as grand as the live version of Deuce. Um, and you get the added bonus of uh, you you wanted the best and you got it. The hottest band in the land. Kiss! Uh, that voice coming over the PA system, uh, which you know I previously identified as J.R. Smalling. Uh, you hear this voice coming over telling you you're about to get something that's absolutely fabulous. And Deuce is, is just a great way to kick off this record, especially after making that profound of a statement. Um, it just Deuce just sounds magnificent on Alive. And this is the first time that many fans got to hear that iconic concert introduction that the band still uses to this day, although they, they do a slightly altered version of it. Um, and that really set the tone for, for what was to come on this record. Uh, when you make a statement that bold, the band has to live up to the hype. And Live Kiss in 1975, they definitely lived up to the hype. Uh, this was, they did a show that you just didn't see. Um, you know, in 1975, I was two years old, so obviously I didn't see the band then. But, um, you know, just knowing the history of the time and, and rock music and, and the way music was going through changes, I guess, in 1975, and then seeing some of these concerts on video and hearing them on uh, bootlegs. Uh, later on, when I was able to get my hands on them, you could just tell that a, that a 1975 Kiss concert was something special. Um, not only because you know all the bombastic uh, war paint and guitars shooting rockets and and uh, you know elevating drums and all this craziness, it's the fact that Kiss was so young and so hungry and. That really shows through on this performance as well. I mean, this is a band that is trying to prove to the world that they really are the hottest band in the land. And um, they brought their A game every single night. Um, and then they were able to capture that on a live. Um, you know, Deuce sounds magnificent in its live format, and it just it blows away the studio version. And the studio version is a great song in its own right. 
Um, one of the greatest songs, one of the greatest live songs ever recorded by anyone, though, is is the live version of Deuce, and that's why it, it blows away the studio version. Um, it just sounds so much more powerful. Live Deuce also has an exceptional solo and extended jam at the end of the song, and that really puts the listener into a Kiss concert. And um, just a great choice for an opener. Um, you know, seeing Kiss. If you're seeing Kiss in 1975, well, a you got a time machine, so um, please call me and let me join you. <laughs> but if you're seeing Kiss in 1975. Uh, Deuce is a great way to just kickstart the show, you know, based on the songs that they had available at the time. I think Deuce was uh, definitely the most powerful opener uh, that they could choose, and uh, just really well done. Uh, the next track is Strutter, and this was written by Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons, and the vocals are handled by Paul Stanley. And Strutter is another song that sounds better live than its studio counterpart. And I imagine that almost all the songs live are better than their studio versions. Um, and regardless of the overdub controversy, this was a young kiss, a powerful kiss, a kiss filled with so much energy as they try to take over the world, as, as I've stated. Um, and there's something magical about Kiss in the 70s that can never be recaptured. And Strutter's a fine example of this. The studio version of the song is good. But the live version is just so much better. And you can just feel the energy coming out of the speakers as this song is played. Uh, that's another powerful solo that's included, and that helps take the song to the next level of excitement. Uh, so live strutter definitely trumps studio strutter. Next up is Got to Choose, and this was written by Paul Stanley as well, and vocals were also handled by Paul Stanley. And... Um, what a great song. <laughs> what a great version. The intro guitar, followed by Peter's drums, is one of the joys of rock music. And it's hard to listen to this song without pumping your fist in the air and getting excited. Even all these years later, hearing Got to Choose Live puts a smile on my face and makes me feel energized. Um, and while live versions of songs don't change the lyrics, those are still pretty weak, Live versions do change the way I feel about the song, and, and I imagine that could be true for, for most people. A live version could make or break a song that you might be on the fence about. A live version could make a song that you love, make you love it less, or may even make you love it more. It all depends on the performance and how it's captured and, and you know how it sounds live. Um, I always felt that live songs by bands like Dave Matthews Band and Bruce Springsteen are definitely better live. Um, you know, and then there's other bands where the studio version is definitely better, like Bob Dylan. Um, but for Kiss, and for Alive, the live versions definitely seem to have the upper hand, upper hand. And Got to Choose Live, it's a gem of a song, weak lyrics or not. Um, it's the music that makes this song so ma magnificent. And at the time it was released, um, very few bands had a sound or a style like Kiss. Kiss was original, and clearly they were like nothing that anyone had ever heard before. Um, and Got to Choose is a very good example of this. Next up is Hotter Than Hell. And this was written by Paul Stanley, and the vocals were handled by Paul Stanley. Um, and even the live version doesn't save this song for me. 
I am just not a fan of Hotter Than Hell. And I, I stated all my reasons why in episode two, uh, the Hotter Than Hell podcast. Um, but, you know, I'll reemphasize weak lyrics, weak guitars, weak everything. Hotter Than Hell is just not a good Kiss song. And you can go ahead and scream at me, classic Kiss fans, but Hotter Than Hell is a clunker. Even the intro to this song on the live version is weak and shoehorned. Uh, you know, Paul's intro of, I have a feeling tonight's going to be one of those nights. We're going to get this place hotter than hell. Uh, or was he, I have a feeling tonight's going to be one of those hot nights. We're going to get this place hotter than hell. Uh, that's it's just a weak way to intro the song. It's forced in. Uh, it's lame. And he still uses it to this day. Um, you know, it, maybe it's considered a classic intro, and that's why it's still used, but I think it's tired and weak. Um, yeah, you know, if, if you want to uh, if you want to send me hate mail because you vehemently disagree and you think Hotter Than Hell is the greatest Kiss song ever, especially the live version, by all means, feel free. I mean, this, uh, you know, I welcome all opinions on this show, and, uh, you know, you can email me at psychocircuspodcast at gmail.com, but it's not going to sway my opinion. I'm just not a fan of the song Hotter Than Hell. Uh, Firehouse comes up next, and this was also written by Paul Stanley, and this was, uh, vocals were also handled by Paul Stanley. So, uh, you know, for the beginning of the album, after Deuce, Paul went on to sing the next one, two, three, four songs. Um, you know, so that's, I think that would cover all of side one, um, on the vinyl, on the double vinyl. So, people might think well paul must be the lead vocalist you know not not knowing if alive is the first album they've ever heard um and i think i I might have made that mistake as a kid too even though i realized there were other people singing you just kind of portray paul as the front man and he's done a good job of of taking on that role even though he you know he doesn't seem sing lead vocals on all songs i guess he is the band's front man, the spokesperson. He does all the talking in between. Um, but anyway, I digress, um, and I've gotten off topic. So Firehouse, um, I do like the way that Hotter Than Hell bleeds right into Firehouse, but Firehouse is another weak song that I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of. Um, I think because I know Gene's going to breathe fire at the end of the song. That's what saves it in concert for me. Uh, otherwise, it would be a bathroom break or a beer run song. Um, the solo's pretty solid. But other than that, the song isn't that great. The lyrics are severely lacking. And, and overall, it's just a poor song. I, I do like the sirens that roar at the end of the Alive version. And, and when you see the song live in concert, I, I do like that. Um, and those, along with Peter's pounding drums, make for a nice outro. And I assume in 75 that this is where Gene breathes fire. But, you know, since you can't see an album, you can only hear it. I can't confirm that. But listening to uh, the Alive track, obviously that's the place where the fire breathing would happen so that uh it would make sense that it would come at that point and again in concert 
that's what keeps me in my seat to watch the song, is I know Gene's gonna breathe fire, but if I went to a Kiss concert and they didn't play Firehouse, which I, I think that's actually happened for a couple concerts I've been to, because then Gene breathes fire during War Machine, um, I'm okay with that. I have no problem if I never hear Firehouse live again. I don't hate the song, it's just... It's not one of my favorites. It's it's weak, and uh, it's not a song that I go back to very often. Um, and I probably haven't listened to it in a while until I started doing this podcast. So, again, look, any kiss is better than no kiss, but Firehouse is very low on the list of, um, of kiss songs that I thoroughly enjoy. And then after Firehouse, we have what I consider to be one of the best Kiss songs. Um, definitely for the time, and when I finally do compile my, my top 10 Kiss songs list for a podcast episode that I'll do in the future, uh, this song may even crack the top 10. I have a feeling that it will. Uh, and that song's Nothing to Lose, which was written by Gene Simmons, and the vocals are handled by Gene Simmons and Peter Chris. Um, and uh, songs don't get, they don't get to be much more fun than this. Nothing to Lose is just classic Kiss. Gene's voice on the live version, it's raw, it's determined. The bass intro is a great way to kick off the song, and Gene and Peter trading vocals throughout is so much fun. Um, Hearing this song again does make me a little nostalgic for the old days, but I understand why Peter and Ace are no longer in the band, and I'll just have to live with my memories of this song from Alive and my all-time favorite version, which is on Unplugged, um, which which is actually a, an album I'm very excited to get to. I know it's a long ways away before I'll cover Unplugged um, on the podcast as I go through these albums in chronological order, but um, Unplugged is an album that I am extremely excited about and um, really looking forward to uh, doing that particular episode. Um, But Nothing to Lose is a fabulous sing-along song. Um, It has an amazing guitar solo by Ace and one of the best sing-along crowd chants in history. You got got nothing to lose. You got got nothing to lose. I I love it. I love it, and I know I've told myself not to sing to you guys. That's not what you want to hear. Um, I'm sure you don't want to hear me singing any Kiss song. You can just play the Kiss song if you want to hear it. Sometimes I can't help myself, uh, and Nothing to Lose is uh, is definitely one of those times. Um, look, I know it's simple, but when the fun factor is that much, uh, simple is okay. And I, 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 Nothing to Lose is incredible, and I could listen to this at every single Kiss concert that I attend. Um, just I don't think it'll ever get old for me. Um, Come On and Love Me is next, and this was written by Paul Stanley, and it was sung by Paul Stanley, and um, it's a forgotten Kiss song that just doesn't get much attention. I think after Alive, this song pretty much disappeared. Um, It did appear on Double Platinum, but I'm not sure that it shows up anywhere else. I don't think... Think Come On and Love Me was played during the reunion tour, and I think it's rarely been played live after 1975 um, until the convention tour, where the acoustic version got some new life for a year or two. Um, but however, if you ask 
KISS fans to name 20 KISS songs off the top of their head, I think that very few would name Come On and Love Me. Um, it's The live version isn't much different from the studio version, and while it's a decent song, it certainly isn't one of the band's greatest. Uh, I think it's just kind of a filler, and it was needed for those early albums since KISS was cranking out two albums a year. Um, so Come On and Love Me made the cut. I think if they had more time to write and record and digest and, and determine, Come On and Love Me may have never made an album, um, and it may have never then been played live. Um, but regardless, it did make the album, and it was performed live, and it was recorded, and it did make a live, and it it's it's a good it's a good song. It's not a great song. It's not a terrible song. It's just kind of in the middle. Average Kiss song, which is still better than a lot of most bands' best songs. Um, but, yeah, not much else to say, really, about Come On and Love Me. It's, it's good, and uh, we'll leave it at that. Next up is Parasite, and that was written by Ace Freely, but the vocals were handled uh, by Gene Simmons, because, as we know, Ace wasn't singing lead vocals just yet. Um, I've always loved the bass line in Parasite. It's that great rumbling bass line that's just filled with urgency. Um, and it sets the tone for the song nicely. And as I mentioned in the Hotter Than Hell episode, um, I think Parasite is one of the heaviest Kiss songs that the band has ever recorded. Um, the musical middle is, is just plain sweet. It's great bass and drums, uh, great drum beats that lead into one of the finest solos Ace Frehley's ever done. And I understand why Ace still plays this song live on his solo tours. It, it's such a strong song. And it, it's so different. It's unlike any Kiss song they've ever done. Um, if you want to play this song... If you if you played this song for a non-Kiss fan, I think they'd have a hard time identifying that it's Kiss. I just love this song. Um, and again, like I said, it's unlike any Kiss song... I've ever heard. Um, it's just, it's completely different and refreshing in a way. Parasite's just, it's just a fabulous song, seriously. Next up is She, and this was written by Gene Simmons and Stephen Cornell back uh, in the Wicked Luster days. And vocals handled uh, here are uh, Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. And while the studio version is good, the live version is so much better. It's got that long, drawn-out intro, great guitar work, fabulous vocals, slow and steady beats. She is just a magnificent song, and for a long while, it was my favorite Kiss song. Um, as a teenager, I made a lot of collection tapes from my favorite bands, and my very first Kiss Collection, which was um, masterfully and ingeniously titled Kiss Favorites. Yes, I was a creative genius. Um, this contained the live version of She as the first song. Um, you know, I was making a 90-minute uh, mixtape. you got to figure out what Kiss songs you're going to put on there. It can only be the best of the best. And She was the first song I put on there because She was my favorite Kiss song at the time. Um, and the live version was was so much, so much better to me. So the live version is what got put on the uh, 
the Kiss Favorites tape. Um, I also love how drawn out the live version is. Um, Kiss breathed extra life into the middle of the song by extending the solo and the jam, and in doing so, they made She a much more powerful song. To hear how this song evolved from the Wicked Lester version, which had flutes, and uh, those of you who who have the box set know what that sounds like, um, to the studio version, which was, you know, a little heavier, a little raw, rawer, a little more raw, um, to the live version from Alive, which is just hard rocking. It's a fun journey to see how she evolved over the course of a few years. Um, I find myself playing air guitar to this song every time I hear it, especially during Ace's outro solo. I mean, how can you not? It's just it's just so much fun. She is such a fun song, and um, it's a fun air guitar song, too. And live version, definitely, definitely better than studio version. Watching You is next, and this was written by Gene Simmons, and the vocals are handled by Gene Simmons. And Watching You is one of my favorite Kiss songs by far, and the live version is just as terrific as the studio version. The pounding drums, the incredible bass line, the way this song comes together through the bridges, it's all just magnificent. Early Kiss really did have some incredible songs. And Early Kiss, they were young Kiss, which meant that Gene could hit notes that he just he can't hit anymore. Ace's guitar is flawless, the drums are incredible, the music's amazing. Everything about this song is just grand. And Watching You is, is a song that you just can't help but love. It may not be the most well-known or the most memorable Kiss song, but I think it's definitely one of the best Kiss songs. Um, and the live version especially... It's the live version is so much better than the studio version. And that's not to say the studio version is bad, because it's not. But live watching you, especially at the end when Gene screams, everybody else is here watching us. And then it goes into that big drum beat, explosion, exploding musical ending. I just I love it. I absolutely love it. And then that's followed by 100,000 Years, uh, which was written by Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons. And Paul Stanley handles the vocals for 100,000 Years. And this is just, it's a live gem. 100,000 Years is a million times better than the studio version. It's got incredible guitar solos. It's got possibly the best drum solo Peter Chris has ever performed. Um, although the live version of God of Thunder does come close, I think the drum solo in 100,000 Years is better than the drum solo in God of Thunder, but it, it's a tight race. Um, simply put, 100,000 Years is one of the best Kiss live, live Kiss songs ever recorded. Um, the beginning of the song pumps the listener up in, in a way that too few songs do, and by the time Paul gets to his vocals, it's, it's just euphoria. Re-listening to these songs for for recording the podcast reminds me why Early Kiss was so damned fantastic. Paul leading the song off with the verse and chorus is terrific, and the way it bleeds into Ace's solo, it's pure joy. And then that leads right into the jaw-dropping drum solo by Peter Chris. By then, your ears are in heaven. If and when I I rank the live Kiss songs, uh, I know I'm going to rank 
my Kiss uh, studio songs, my top ten studio songs towards the end of this journey. Um, but if I rank the live Kiss songs, 100,000 Years is definitely going to crack the top five, probably top three. Um, and then there's the fact that this song was recorded long before uh, PC Kiss took over, you know, politically correct Kiss. And Paul asked the audience, you know, how many people like to party? How many people like to get high? And then there's the question of how many people believe in rock and roll, which, you know, of course, the crowd goes nuts. Nowadays, Paul just says, uh, you know, people over there, let me hear you. People over there, let me hear you, and so on. But I just think asking the questions of who likes to party and who likes to get high, it's much more mesmerizing to me, you know. I'm not, I'm not saying that... Uh, Oh, you know, rock and roll, you got to talk about drugs, and everybody's got to be stoner, and that's what makes it so cool, because that, that's not it. Um, and maybe it's just a sign of the times, but when you listen to 100,000 Years on Alive, and you listen to Paul ask, you know, how many people here like to party? How many people here like to get high? It's just feel the feeling, the crowd behind it. They're eating it up, you know. It's mid-70s. Maybe the drugs were much more rampant. Um, I'm not sure. Again, I was two years old at the time. But, um, you know, people seem to love it. And um, it's that's the power you feel on this live track. It's mind-blowing. I can't say enough good things about 100,000 years. Um, and while the studio version is hardly one of my favorite Kiss songs. The live version is so good that it it could possibly be my favorite live Kiss song, if that makes sense. Uh, Black Diamond comes up next, and this was written by Paul Stanley, and is sung by Paul Stanley and Peter Chris. and Black Diamond is the, uh, the big main set closer. Um, that kind of wraps up the 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 set before the encores kick in um and black diamond live just enhances the studio version and it highlights all that is perfect about it Uh, paul sings the intro nice and soft before crying out hit it which leads to peter smashing the drums and taking over on the vocals Um, by this point in the album uh, the concert is well underway the energy can be felt from this song the passion that the band has and that the band performs it with is felt Um, and then there's the terrific closing this song gets with each member playing a power chord and a drum beat that gets more intense and quicker with each note before it finally explodes into the climax and the words good night are screamed out um, and the main set is over. Uh, Black Diamond's a great way to end a main set. Um, and, and you know, if you close your eyes and you're you're listening to this in your living room or your bedroom or your wherever room, and you can almost feel like you're at the concert. And again, okay, you know, maybe there was some cleanup work done. Maybe they added a little bit of crowd cheering. Whatever. It just... Alive is just a fantastic live record. And Black Diamond is a great way to close out the main portion of this live record. Of this live gem, if you will. So after Black Diamond, it's time for the encore. 
and the first song to come for the encore um, is Rock Bottom and this was written by Ace and Paul and the lead, lead vocals are handled by Paul and this guitar intro um, I know I, I expressed my love for it when um, we did the previous podcast but this guitar intro sounds absolutely amazing live um, I've always loved the intro to Rock Bottom but the live version is just insane and when the guitar stops and Paul kicks in with I can't wait a day it it's just eargasmic um, Rock Bottom is it's one of the best studio songs on the first three Kiss records and the live version just takes everything that is great about it and makes it that much better um, and it's a great way to come out into the encore after uh, you know after Black Diamond and the, the place is going nuts Rock Bottom is a great way to rush back out on stage and begin your encore it's a powerful song uh, great, great guitar intro and then just kicks in it, absolute beauty cold gin comes up next and this was written by ace freely and vocals are handled by gene simmons and cold gin's another song that's just so much better live and again this version is before pc kiss so paul asked uh, asked the fans how many of them like the taste of alcohol you know some people like to drink tequila and, uh, you know, he heard that some of you out there that love vodka and orange juice. Um, and then, of course, when you're down in the dumps, there's only one drink that's going to bring you up the way you want it. And that's cold gin. And I love how the crowd screams it back to him because uh, they know the song that's coming. Uh, and, uh, you know, cold gin. What? Cold gin. Loud or cold gin? And I'm not saying rock stars need to promote drinking. Um, but an introduction to Cold Gin, talking about how some of the fans like the taste of the alcohol, that's a proper introduction. And, of course, the live version of Cold Gin is just killer. Uh, Gene never sounded better than he does on this version. Uh, he's young. He's hungry. He's full of passion. And, uh, as I'm sure I've stated several times throughout the course of this episode, uh, early Kiss they really did put on one hell of a live show. And uh, if I ever get that time machine, or if somebody out there has one, um, I would love to go back in time and see Kiss play in uh, 1975, 1976. That, that would be a real treat. Um, next up is Rock and Roll All Night, which is written by Paul and Gene, and uh, vocals were handled by Gene Simmons. Um, and Rock and Roll All Night is the song that launched Kiss into the stratosphere and, and made them a household name. And while the studio version was terrific in its own right, it's the live version that actually got people to listen to and to talk about Kiss. Um, hearing the live version is what drove people out to buy the record. Um, it's what made album sales take off it saved not only the band's career but the record labels as well um and who knows what would have happened if this song wasn't released as a single from alive uh but fortunately for all it was and um you know as i stated on the uh dress to kill episode uh you know i went into uh great detail about rock and roll all night and how the live version is uh, superior and how the live version is 
it, it was the launching pad for KISS to become KISS, you know, prior to that they were KISS, and then after that they were KISS, I mean, it just, a world, world of difference, um, all due to one little song being played live, released as a live single, um, and fans going just nuts, and having to snatch it up, and then buying the entire Alive album, um, so yeah, rock and roll all night, while, while I'm tired of it, as I stated in the other episode, um, you know, just because to me it's overplayed. I understand its its importance in the history of the band, um, and you know, I'll always appreciate it for for what it is, even though it's it's been played to death. Um, the last song on Alive uh, that closes out the concert, "Rock and Roll All Night," was not the Kiss closer at that time. Uh, it was "Let Me Go Rock and Roll." And this was written by Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons. And lead vocals were handled by Gene Simmons. And I still say that Let Me Go Rock and Roll should be closing Kiss concerts, not Rock and Roll All Night. I think Let Me Go Rock and Roll is a far superior song. And forget the fact that Rock and Roll All Night has been played to death. Even if you take that out of the equation, I still think Let Me Go Rock and Roll is a superior song. It's, It's a great, 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 great great song with stupendous guitars exceptional jam magnificent music i understand that everyone loves rock and roll all night i understand the fans want to hear it in concert but kiss can still play it and they can just play it earlier in the set they really should think about closing with let me go rock and roll it's just an exceptional song and a perfect way to end an evening of rocking out with Kiss. If you want to use Rock and Roll All Night to start the encore, that, you know, they could do that. You want to put Rock and Roll All Night in the middle of the set, I think that's a better placement for it. Um, you know, really get the fans roaring. And for fans who have been coming for a long time, they'd be shocked. They'd say, wow, Rock and Roll All Night's being played in the middle of the set. What's going on? Um, and then, then they'd all be wondering what's going to be the big closer, and that's when you hit them, hit them hard with "Let Me Go Rock and Roll" um, as the last song of the night. It, it's just, it's an exceptional song. It's perfect way to end an evening, um, to end a Kiss concert. You can still have the confetti blasting out. Fans are still going to go nuts. Um, look, there's a reason that "Let Me Go Rock and Roll" was the closer on Alive. And that's because at the time, Kiss believed that Let Me Go Rock and Roll was their true closer. But since Rock and Roll All Night gained in popularity, they switched to that song as the closing number. But when you listen to Alive, you just know that this is the song you should close out Kiss concerts with. Just listen to the jam at the end. I mean, really listen. Close your eyes. Put on Let Me Go Rock and Roll Live. Put on your headphones. Block out the rest of the world. And really listen to this song. And then tell me that Rock and Roll Night's better or that Let Me Go Rock and Roll shouldn't be a closer. Um, I'd be surprised if you told me that. But do that exercise first and then I'll hear your arguments. Because I just, I think Let Me Go Rock and Roll is the far far superior kiss song the live version is far superior to the studio version and the live version is a far superior live song all right that is gonna do it 
for this episode of the Psycho Circus Podcast. Thank you for listening. Um, if you have a comment to share, again, you can email me at psychocircuspodcast at gmail.com. That's psychocircuspodcast at gmail.com. Please be sure to go to iTunes and leave a review. Every review helps. Um, and if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast. If you want to check out my written works, which um, are non-KISS related, although I do write about KISS as well, um, but you can go to my blog. It's rockandrollguru.blogspot.com. That's R-O-C-K-A-N-D-R-O-L-L-G-U-R-U.blogspot.com. You can check out my written works there. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at RyoV, at R-Y-O-V-I-E on Twitter, um, where I tweet a lot of rock music things, and just things in general um, about my life and what's going on, and um, I retweet a lot of KISS-related stuff. Um, So please, hop on and follow me. Uh, Be sure to tune in next week, where I will cover Destroyer, which I am really looking forward to, and I have a feeling it's going to be um, possibly the longest episode uh, recorded to date, and could be one of the longest episodes uh, throughout the history of this podcast as we move forward, um, just because I really have a lot to say about Destroyer. So tune in next time uh, when I cover Destroyer, and until then, the carnival has just begun.